Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. He will be held in contempt if he doesn't do what is responsible to do. Remember, in the commitment to America, Republicans said we'd go and make sure we had accountability and transparency. We had a whistleblower come before us and, and say that he'd gone to the FBI about hearing of a $5 million bribe from a foreign individual to then Vice President um, Biden, and then talked about sending money to LLCs and others. We subpoenaed that because, remember, Congress has the constitutional right of the oversight of the FBI. This document is not even classified. What is the first thing that uh, Director Ray said? He didn't even acknowledge whether he had it. He said he wouldn't provide it. I had a phone call with him, explained to him, if he does not provide this, we will hold him in contempt. And he should be held in contempt. And for the people who disagree, do not confuse two issues when it comes to FBI Director Christopher Wray and it comes to this form, which is known as an FD-1023. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. The phone number, 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. I know, I know, I never take calls. Today could be the day. Today should be the day. The allegation is that, yes, indeed, Biden was taking money to engage certain policy decisions. There is a whistleblower who says that this document exists. When asked about the document, the response was, we won't show it to you. Not even whether or not it exists, we won't show it to you. But now we know that it does indeed exist. We know that the document is there, ready to be seen. Why is the document not being shared with James Comer, who runs Oversight? It's a legitimate question. Now, the document itself proving that there is some kind of criminal cabal with the Biden family, well, that's a much different conversation. That's a much, much different conversation. And certainly, this is where people like Hakeem Jeffries want to think that they're engaged in some kind of of really smart talk. Well, I think what we've seen is that individuals who pretend to be a party of law and order, or really just a party of lawlessness and disorder. Joe's done a great job of pointing this out, you know, every step of the way. These are people who supported a violent insurrection where there was an assault, not just on the Capitol, but on Capitol police officers. And they refused to recognize their service, their bravery, their valor. So this is just part of that lawlessness and disorder that I think we've seen uh, coming from far too many extreme MAGA Republicans on the other If you have to say extreme MAGA Republicans, you need Representative Hakeem Jeffries to do it. But January 6th has no part in this conversation. But you'll notice it's what they always go back to. It's a it's a it's a weakness. It's an inability to engage properly. Congressman Comer, the Republicans are in charge of oversight and they want a document that is not classified for what reason? Should that document not be provided? And the answer is none. There is no reason for this document not to be provided. Now, let's go back to this idea of whether or not there 
was a crime. If you listen to Congressman James Comer, the crime being, or the start of the conversation being, that yes, indeed, there is a document that shows that money changed hands between Biden and a foreign national who may have influenced U.S. policy decisions. Meaning, hey, I'll give you this money if you do X, if you think Y, if you say Z, if you talk A, if you do this. That's what the document allegedly shows. Now, the question before us is, is the document everything it's cracked up to be? According to Comer, this document has to be shown. This document was dated, I think you all know this, from the subpoena on July 30th, 2020. The claims made in the document are consistent with what we found and disclosed to you all in Romania. It suggests a pattern of bribery where payments would be made through shell accounts and multiple banks. There's a term for that. It's called money laundering. And that, again, is what the, the majority of the suspicious activity reports also said. So we feel that this accusation is consistent with a pattern that we're seeing, frankly, in other countries, too. Yes. We believe there are multiple documents. So there might be more than one, as a reporter asked, are there multiple documents? There might be more than one. He is saying that the document is dated and the claims in the document are consistent with what we've already found. Jamie Raskin, Democrat, is saying something different. That what's in the document wasn't actually proof of wrongdoing. It was nothing more than notes of allegations, but nothing sprung from it. Uh, Attorney General Barr uh, named uh, Scott Brady, who was the U.S. attorney for Western Pennsylvania, uh, to head up a group of prosecutors and FBI agents who would look into all of uh, the allegations related to Ukraine. As Attorney General Barr himself put it, we have to take everything coming from Ukraine with a, a grain of salt. Um, But after uh, Rudy Giuliani uh, surfaced these allegations, uh, this group was appointed and they looked into um, the uh, the form 1023 um, and that this group was um, created in June um, and spent the summer on it and. Uh, as I understand it, in August, determined that there was no grounds to escalate from an initial assessment to a preliminary investigation. And the standard for moving from an assessment to a preliminary investigation in FBI prosecutorial protocol is whether there are articulable facts giving rise to suspicion of criminal activity. So they apparently decided that there was not, and they called an end to the investigation. So let's say that that's the case. They have this document. It didn't rise to a level of X, Y, or Z. They didn't move forward. Why can't members of Congress, the Oversight Committee, have the document? This is the argument. Everything else is what flows next. 
Was there money exchanged? Was money given to Jim Biden, Joe Biden's brother? Did money go to Hunter Biden through other sources, whether that be Ukraine or China? Was there some level of family cabal to make some cash? As we know, was a huge part of Biden's life post the vice presidency. And do all of those classified documents, whether it be his offices in D.C. or his home in Robert Beach or the University of Delaware or other places, play into this? These are all questions and multiplicities of questions, but put them all to the side. Democrat Jamie Raskin admitted that the document is real. Why isn't Christopher Ray handing it over? And this is the entirety of the conversation. They want to confuse you with, oh, well, it doesn't mean anything. Oh, well, there's no real investigation. Oh, there's no crime here. Whoa, 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 whoa. Everybody settle down. I don't listen to leftists when they tell me when there is a crime or not a crime because I listened to their human garbage for four years about Trump and Russia, Russia, Russia. They wouldn't know if there was a crime if it bit them on the butt. I don't pay attention to these people, and neither should you. The question is, why isn't Christopher Ray? Providing the document that has been subpoenaed. Back to Representative Comer. FBI officials confirm that the unclassified FBI-generated record has not been disproven and is currently being used in an ongoing investigation. The confidential human source who provided information about then-Vice President Biden being involved in a criminal bribery scheme is a trusted, highly credible informant who has been used by the FBI for over 10 years and has been paid over six figures. These are facts and no amount of spin and frankly lies from the White House or congressional Democrats can change this information. At the briefing, the FBI again refused to hand over the unclassified record to the custody of the House Oversight Committee. And we will now initiate contempt of Congress hearings this Thursday. Absolutely. And good. And I don't care if you frog march Christopher Ray into in, or in front of a judge. Doesn't mean anything to me. What the left is going to tell you is why are these uh, Republicans so angry at Christopher Ray after all? They want to investigate FBI agents. Now they want to hold the FBI director in contempt. By the way, an FBI director that was appointed, nominated by Donald Trump. So what? Trump's got a long history of picking terrible people. Oh, I'm sorry. Michael Cohen? Are we, are we really doing this? Are we really going to pretend that Trump picks the best people? What was the name of the first Secretary of State? Do you remember him? Big guy, tall guy. Um. Oh, I'll, I'll get it. I'll, I'll get it. What? No, no, no. Come on. Someone's got to tell me. I can't. I cannot remember. You know exactly who I'm talking about, too. He was the guy. He was with the oil companies. He doesn't pick good people. He doesn't have good people around him. This we've known for a good long time. What does it matter if Trump appointed Ray?
Ray has to give up the document, and he's not. Of course, he should be held in contempt, and he should be marched in front of a judge. The arguments from Jamie Raskin and Hakeem Jeffries, both Democrats, don't mean anything. Uh, the entirety of Hakeem Jeffries, Representative Jeffries' argument is, oh, these Republicans are just ridiculous. Not an argument. The argument of Jamie Raskin, who I think is trying to actually engage there, is about whether or not the Biden family is guilty of any criminal activity. Well, that'll only be known after an investigation. Certainly, you have enough to at least start the investigation. And a document being withheld is not necessarily a good sign. It's not a sign of guilt, but it's not a good sign. But the conversation here, and don't get it twisted and don't allow anybody to take your eye off the ball of what it is, is about whether or not Christopher Ray, the FBI director, has to give up the document. And the answer is, of course he does. The political left will say things like this. This was Joe Scarborough on his show on MSNBC this morning. But all these things about like the Biden crime family, this, that, the other, they keep pushing and they keep finding absolutely nothing. And it ends up at the end of the day just being an embarrassment for them. And as Caddy said, most Americans just don't care about this unless you're the wife of a Supreme Court justice that's talking about putting the Biden crime family on barges outside of Gitmo. I'm assuming he's talking about Jenny Thomas there, the wife of Clarence Thomas. Neither here nor there. This is the wrong argument. First, he's having the conversation with uh, Al Sharpton. This is unserious. Secondly, whether or not the country cares about it, isn't the determination of whether or not the FBI director has to provide the documentation. America doesn't care if I was speeding, the cop may still very well give me the ticket. So this argument from Joe Scarborough, this argument from Akeem Jeffries, these are laughable, pathetic, standard distraction deflection arguments. The argument from Jamie Raskin is to say no crime was committed. Well, we would know that if we had an investigation. But in the end, the document has to be given. And I haven't seen where the FBI director has the right to defy a subpoena from oversight. I don't know where that exists. So in, if, if you have people talking about what's going on with the FBI and the FBI director and James Comer, the representative from Kentucky, now you've got the breakdown. We understand what's happening, what's being said, and what really matters. I'm Tony Katz. We may very well see, or we may see soon, Chris Licht get fired from CNN. And I'm not so sure that he should be. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Find everything. TonyKatz.com. Licked is the CEO. And he was brought in after Jeff Zucker was caught with a subordinate in flagrante delecto. 
that he was screwing around. And Jeff Zucker, from the outside, is trying aggressively to get Chris Licht fired. Licht is trying to figure out how you create a news organization without being such a radical partisan organization. Well, this has led to a tremendous amount of unrest at CNN, including some articles, including one in The Atlantic, a a profile that was so unflattering, it literally blew up the network. People, they're like, we're done with this guy. He's actually apologizing for it. Supposedly very raw in the phone calls and everything else. But that's not enough. Because he's also said that we haven't done a good enough job in actually engaging reporting. The people who are at CNN don't believe they've ever done anything wrong. They believe that they have been honest and sincere and thorough from day one. When, of course, this is not true. And if they would just admit their failings, things would be better. But they don't do that. Even the people who've been fired, whether it's Don Lemon or it's Brian Stelter, they're never going to do it. The firing of Don Lemon actually has some people bothered. Which is weird to me because Don Lemon brought you nothing. Because Don Lemon wouldn't bring anything. So here's Jeff Zucker from the outside trying to engage an attack on Licht. It's not uh, Chris Licht's fault that Zucker was screwing around with one of his execs. He couldn't figure out how to have he couldn't figure out how to have sex with somebody from MSNBC. Had to be from somebody who he had power over in the era of Me Too. That's brilliant. Now is Zucker angling to get back into CNN? I don't know. I can't imagine it's happening. I I I just I just can't see it taking place. But does it mean that if they bring in a new CEO, they actually just installed a new chief operating officer who is very very close with the head of the company that owns CNN by the name of David Zaslav. We're talking about Warner Brothers Discovery. So the new chief operating officer is very close with David Zaslav. That could end up being the new CEO. So what does that mean for the future of CNN? Are they actually going to change their ways? And the answer is, it certainly doesn't look like it. Because if I'm Chris Licht and I'm getting pushback and people like uh, Oliver Darcy are basically screaming at me and calling me out on air and in writings, if the plan was to blow it up, just blow it up. Change the programming to actual news as opposed to the nonsense that you have right now. Just change the programming. If you got nothing else to lose, light matches. And as for Jeff Zucker, this is a petty dude. And if he ends up with another job, you understand how ugly this whole world is because you couldn't get another job if you acted like he did. This is Tony Katz today. So this LIV golf 
tour was supposed to be the worst thing that ever happened. It's Saudi-backed. It's terrible. It's terrible for the game. It's it's un-American. You can't support these people. And if you join, is it live or is it live? Is it live golf, AJ? Um, live or live? I want to say live golf. I thought it was, too. Supported by the, backed by the Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund. And if you join that, well, you can't be part of the PGA. And big fights of Phil Mickelson here and this one over there. And now they're merging. Now they're merging. You're going to have all the golf coming together now. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. The phone number, 833-GOT-TONY. 833-468-8669. So am I am I no longer uh angry at um am I no longer angry at, at Saudi Arabia? Because I thought I was supposed to be angry with with Saudi Arabia. It's gonna be a merging of everything under the sun. The European DP World Tour, I didn't even know what that was. So why can't we have separate golf tournaments? Why does it have to be all under one roof? I don't I, I I'm asking for curiosity's sake. I'm not that into the, 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 the sport. I can appreciate good play, but that's it. I don't play myself because it takes away from cigar time. Honestly, I, if, if you want me to take a walk with you, sure. You want me to hit a ball with a stick? Mm, I know it's more than that. Please, could you try not to be offended for five minutes? I'd rather be smoking a cigar than playing golf. By every single stretch. There is never a day where I'm like, you know what? I'd rather be playing golf. Never once. So the question is, now that this is all together, are we saying that no separate golf tournaments or golf associations can exist? And if what was backed by Saudi Arabia was clearly disgusting, why isn't it disgusting that the PGA is doing this now? This is the question. I mean, I actually have the letter from the from the PGA. The PGA Tour, your tour, this was sent out to PGA members, is leading the formation of a new commercial entity to unify golf, one that sees the end of the disruption and distraction that has divided the men's professional game for the better part of three years. Through a framework agreement, the Public Investment Trust, Public Investment Fund, sorry, is contributing its golf-related commercial businesses and rights, including LIV Golf, along with a significant financial investment toward minority equity ownership of a new collectively held for-profit LLC. This new entity, named to be determined, will also include the PGA Tour's commercial businesses and rights, as well as those of the DP World Tour. I just, I just thought Saudi Arabia was bad. That, I, I, that's what I was told. I thought that was important. I I guess not. Not bad is Tim Scott. Now, of course, we've got a big, big week when it comes uh, to people running for president. You've got Mike Pence jumping in to this race. You've got um, uh, Chris Christie jumping into this race. Uh, You you know that you had the, the town hall with Nikki Haley just the other day. Ron DeSantis is doing Ron DeSantis things. And then, of course, there's a guy by the name of Donald. 
And then there are people who I haven't even mentioned. Asa Hutchinson, the former governor of Arkansas, is in this race. Uh, Larry Elder, I think, is running for president, radio host. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. Lots of people in the race. And then, of course, on the Democratic side, you have Biden. You've got Robert F. Kennedy. You've got Marianne Williamson. And now you've got Cornell West running as a communist, but they're not calling it the Communist Party. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're just never going to do that because they're dishonest people. And then there's Tim Scott, who went on The View. Now, I, I know that this happened the other day, and a lot of people have discussed it. I, I wanted a moment, because I wanted to make sure I heard what he said. I wanted to make sure I heard the reactions. And there is something that took place in this conversation where Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina, is speaking and Tim Scott is talking to Sonny Hostin, who basically, uh, um, well, said that he's not really black, just like Joy Behar did. Tim Scott, Clarence Thomas, they think that a black man could just bootstrap himself up, and they, they don't, they don't know, understand the black experience. Well, then, that's a statement. That's a a, a, a statement. And certainly, you can see that the argument got somewhat heated. But the heated comes from the fact that people like Sonny Hostin don't believe that men like Tim Scott, Senator Scott, exist at all. There are no such things as conservative black people. There are only black people who are confused. This is the way Sonny Hostin goes about all things. I'm paraphrasing, but I'm hitting the highlights. And one of the things that Senator Tim Scott objected to was being told by Sonny Hostin and and others that he is the exception, not the rule. And he was very clear to dismantle that theory. I, I am actually happy that you're here. We, we, we have some things in common. You grew, up, you grew up in a single family household, single mother household. I grew up with both of my parents, but raised in the Bronx projects amidst a lot of poverty and, and, and uh, violence. And you are the first black senator elected in the South since the Reconstruction. That would be about, I think, about 114 years. Yet you say that your life disproves uh, left leftist lies. And, and yes. my question to you is... I'm the exception, right? You're the exception. Maybe even Miss Whoopi Goldberg is the exception. Oh, she's but, definitely the but, exception. But we are not the rule. <laughs> and so when it comes to racial inequality, it persists in, in five core aspects of life in the U.S. Economics, education, health care, criminal justice, and housing. At nearly every turn, these achievements were fought, threatened, and erased, most often by white violence. You have indicated that you don't believe in systemic racism. What is your definition of systemic racism? From there, he starts to have a conversation. And I'm going to play it for you in, in, in full. Her take is, how dare you? And she believes that she has laid out a case for why it's impossible to deny Senator Tim Scott. 
Let me ask, answer the uh, question that you've answered. Does it ex- or does it even exist yeah. in your mind? Yeah. Let me uh, answer the question this way. One of the things I, I think about, and one of the reasons why I'm on the show, is because of the comments that were made, frankly, on this show, that the only way for a young African-American kid to be successful in this country is to be the exception and not the rule. That is a dangerous, offensive, disgusting message to send to our young people today, that the only way to succeed is by being the exception. I will tell you that if my life is the exception, uh, I can't imagine. But, but I can't it ima- is. But it's not, actually. Here's, here's, it's been here's 114 my, years. Yeah, so, so the fact of the matter is we've had an African-American president, African-American uh, vice president. We've had two African-Americans to be secretaries of the state. Uh, in my home city, uh, the police chief is an African-American who's now running for mayor. The head of the Highway Patrol for South Carolina is an African-American. Still in, 19, in 1975, um, there was about 15% of in the African-American community for the first time in the history of the country. It's under 5%. 40% homelessness and 50% of African-Americans. And 50% of the folks in our community. Yet 13% of the population. You have to ask the question. I know that I've watched you on the show that you like people to be deferential and respectful, so I'm going to do the that same thing. That is true. So here's what I'm going to suggest. I cannot describe to you the level of the snobbery of Sonny Hostin, the positioning, the face, uh, the, 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 the everything. When she discusses the South hasn't elected a black senator in 114 years outside of you. You understand that involves the Democrats as well, right? They always forget that. What are you looking at here? That involves the Democrats as well. If he's the first black senator from the South since Reconstruction, ergo, the Democrats don't elect black people either. That would be a rational argument. And that should have been something that Senator Tim Scott said. Senator Scott continues. I'm going to suggest the fact of the matter is that progress in America is palpable. It could be measured in generations. I look back at the fact that my grandfather, born in 1921 in Sally, South Carolina, when he was on a, on a sidewalk, a white person was coming, he had to step off and not make eye contact. That man believed then, with some doubt now, in the goodness of America, because he believed in having faith in God, Mm-hmm. Faith in himself and faith in what the future could hold for his kids would unleash opportunities in ways that you, you cannot imagine. Every kid today can look, just change the stations and see how much mm-hmm. progress has been made in this country. ABC, NBC, CBS, ESPN, CNN, Fox News all have African-American and Hispanic hosts. So what I'm suggesting is that the yesterday's exception is today's rule. He's making an argument that I'm surprised isn't made more often. That when the left says bigoted country, hateful country, awful country, we don't seem to take a look at our progress and say, let's continue. We don't seem to look at our progress at all. I think we should look at our progress. I think we should look at how much better we've gotten, how much better we're doing. I think we should take a look at successes because when you say there are no successes, when you say it's all the exception and not the rule, as Sonny Hostin is doing, she is saying to people, and the reason he said it's disgusting and he's correct, she is saying to people who may look like her, you'll never make it. Oh, I did. I got mine. But you... You're not really, you know, special. You 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 know you're not going to make I you're not going to make it. I made it. 
If you look like this, if you sound like that, if you have a name like this, if you have a heritage like that, you're not going to make it. It's a horrific message. It is a wholly un-American message. And it is remarkable what can happen when people are told shit again. Again, we, we go back to this idea of systemic racism, which you got to love how she says it, or does systemic racism not exist in your mind? Or does she say your mind, right? Well, I guess it depends on how you hear the emphasis. You mean it exists in your mind or you're not your mind? The question is, does it exist? If you point to me a law that says black people cannot, Jews cannot, women cannot, men cannot, gay cannot, well, then that's a law that has to go. So when you say systemic racism, what are you referring to? Redlining? Redlining doesn't exist anymore. Redlining also affected Jews and people who are Asian. Of course it was wrong. You told people you can't get a mortgage in this neighborhood. You have to be in that neighborhood. But this neighborhood's going to appreciate by 72% and that one only by 11%. You absolutely created different categories of wealth. That happened. Fact. That happened. Now what? Now now what? Now it doesn't happen. How is that not a level of progress? Well, Tony, the problem is you're not doing anything about what happened that you're responsible for. Whoa, 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 whoa. I ain't responsible for a holy damn thing. Watch your mouth. You don't get to talk to me like you know me, and you sure as hell don't get to talk to me like you're in charge of me. I didn't do nothing. My children are innocent, and I'm willing to fight for it. So, perhaps the, the proper response is, this did happen, and this did happen, and this did happen, and now this doesn't happen, and this doesn't happen, and this doesn't happen. So now what we need to do is move on to this, this, and this. Move forward. Build out. Grow. Find your place. So far behind the eight ball that you can't catch up, that's not very American in its thought. And if that was the case, how did Sonny Hostin, Asuncion, she should use her real name, but she dumbs it down because she thinks you're stupid. How did she, from such a poor family, achieve such success? And I believe a law degree and other things. Clearly, it's possible. Clearly, the system did not prevent her. It welcomed her. That should have been part of Tim Scott's conversation here. But his point about progress is a valuable one. He continues. And for us to so suggest... America has met its promise. No, of course, the, the concept of America is that we are going to become a more perfect union. But in fact, the challenges that we face... 50 years ago and 60 years ago should not be the same challenges that we face today. And here's the way that you, you measured that. When my mother was born, about 10% of African Americans got a high school degree, wow. diploma. Today, it's over 90%. When you look at the income, when you look at the income success that That's we've had. That's HBCU stat. Well, listen, HBCU stat is a good okay. one because one of the reasons why I took the funding for HBCUs to the highest level in the history of the country and then I helped make it permanent is because I believe that Education is the closest thing to magic in America. So I'm about making sure that our kids have as many opportunities to succeed as possible. By the way, what's wrong with something being uh, an HBCU stat, historically black college and university? What it, I don't know what she's pushing against. 
Here's where this conversation got the most interesting, and you can actually see the photos. There is a moment where um, Whoopi Goldberg um, is standing next to Sonny Hostin. Why did Whoopi Goldberg get up out of her seat to come stand next to Sonny Hostin? Actually, like kind of like has her arm around her, and Sonny Hostin's kind of leaned in on her. Sonny needed the backup. Sonny needed um, some 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 strength. I I don't I don't I don't know what why that happened. And, you know, was talking to this one, turning and talking to that one. So maybe she came over. So he was talking to both of them at the same time. The whole thing seemed peculiar. And I'm telling you, it it it, it still kind of, the visual is very strange. The overarching thing to take from it is, don't be afraid to speak to people who disagree with you. Don't be afraid to go on MSNBC or CNN. Don't say we don't do that. You go where the conversation is. Because that's where the convert can be. I'm Tony Katz. Rex Tillerson. That was the Secretary of State that Trump picked. That was, like, not very impressive. Rex Tillerson. I knew I'd remember the name. Dang it. This is Tony Katz today.